0: Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 47 of Conquering Columbus. We've got a a great interview lined up for you with Mr. Darius Blackford, the director for the Columbus Marathon. But before we dive into that, I want to take a moment and remind you all, go ahead and look at whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. Click that subscribe button. It really helps us out, and it'll make sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. The last thing we want to do before we get this episode rolling is take a moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you.
1: Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, fast casual restaurants you can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com.
0: mike here again and if you want to be a sponsor of conquering columbus and have your message heard by conquerors across the city please reach out to me at mike at conquering and one last thing before we get this episode rolling conquerors we want to hear from you there will be a quick survey in the show notes of today's episode and if you guys could fill that out for us we'd really appreciate it all right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You can drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little
1: doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah,
2: it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to
1: not be average. This is Conquering
0: Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. we got a great uh, episode lined up for you today. We're sitting down with Darius Blackford, and uh, for a little background on him, Darius was the head of marketing at AD Faro Company, Harley-Davidson, before becoming the race director for the Columbus Marathon in 2010. And actually, before A.D. Farrow, he uh, started his own marketing company before after uh, leaving work as a reporter at the Columbus Dispatch. Since then, he's put all his efforts into helping build the Columbus Marathon into one of the best races it can be and one of the uh, top marathons in the Ohio Valley area. So welcome to Conquering Columbus, Darius. We're excited Thank to have you. Thank you
2: very much. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Yeah, so how's your day going?
2: Oh, you know i was uh just feeling the uh the time is tight already i'm uh, the clock is ticking 180 something days till the marathon and i'm getting nervous
0: yeah. you sound like tom you know our old wrestling coach always he knew on immediately this is how many days till the NCAA is. so it's kind of like building up all build, building up to the one big event so it's always cool that's right um, to have that i mean you know to talk to someone that has like that time constraint is always thinking this is when i got to do this this is when i got to do this so um What's your schedule look like right now? I mean, what are you doing right now with 180-something days
2: out? Yeah, so mostly, you know, with a big event like this, there's a lot of uh, behind-the-scene background stuff. I mean, we don't just show up in October and everything's there. You got to start ordering your shirts and your fencing. And, you know, this week, for example, I was working with all the communities that we go through, the police departments and the, and the cities, Upper Arlington, Grandview Heights, Columbus, Bexley, reaching out to them. Anything coming up, any road projects, anything major we got to be looking out for, talking to our vendors, people are going to be supplying us with the stuff we're going to need to do it, working with the expo people in terms of those who are going to exhibit, then dealing with just the runners and walkers, the registration's already open, so we're dealing with all those things, Uh, a lot of PR and promotional efforts, a lot of uh, social media, just always staying on top of things. It's, It's just like any job, the difference is... It does have a deadline of October 15th at 7.30 a.m. We can't push it off by a week. (laughs) We make that deadline.
1: (laughs) And there's so many different moving parts that go into that, and I'm really interested in diving into them in more depth and hearing about what the team looks like and the structure. Um, But I think maybe the best place to start is kind of back in the beginning for you, and then we'll build up into the Columbus Marathon. Maybe talk a little bit about your background and where you really feel like your story starts to evolve, wherever that may be, whether it's childhood and some influential years that you had in there, whether it was your first um, gig as a job or something like that
2: yeah absolutely well I was very fortunate to uh, have a pretty easy childhood played a lot of sports and activities and that which uh, just learned the value of health and wellness and my in particular some of my uh, uh, aunts and uncles were really into just uh, whether it was hiking or spending time outside so so my brother and I, uh, I have a younger brother we would basically just be very active. It's not like kids today. And and life was different for a lot of reasons. I don't know if parents (laughs) didn't just let us go and and we'd come back when it was time to eat. But um, very, very active childhood. But I also just learned to um, uh, enjoy myself and have fun. So Here in Ohio? uh, Yeah, up in Akron. I grew up in Akron and um, just spent a lot of time outside, a lot of time doing things. I didn't run. I played football. But I ran, like, when you have to run laps was always up front, always in the lead on laps, and never once was encouraged to do track or, or cross country, which uh, <laughs> my brother went the other route. He ran cross country and track, had a full, full scholarship to Akron, and, and uh, a very, very talented runner. But I enjoyed running, but it wasn't that, it wasn't that draw for me. Just, just sports and staying active was important to me, but um, um, I always tended to like to be in charge. From being a little kid on, and so my interest in being in charge of things really developed in high school and college. And I'm saying this with uh, true honesty. But when it came to things like spring break, I was the guy. I was in charge of my friends because I didn't trust these guys at all, you know. So a bunch of college guys, but yet I was the one who would book the hotels. I'd be in charge of all the money. There's pictures of me holding, you know, big wads of cash because back then you couldn't just get online and book a hotel i'd have to call hotels and book these things and lie a little bit that there's only going to be a couple guys in the room and then 18 guys that show up and but i was in charge of all that and it really i understood the logistics of putting together at the time a large-scale event for me 18 guys and how do we get them there to florida and how do we get the hotels and how do we deal with all these issues and that and i enjoyed that and i just i liked it mostly because i'd rather be the one who was going to do it because i knew it would get done right And I kind of took that as I've gone into into my into my career. I I found I could write, so I pursued a career in journalism. And I was a newspaper reporter for 10 years down in uh, or up in Cleveland, down in Florida, and then I ended up here at the Columbus Dispatch. And super opportunity. If if the world were if every job paid the same, I'd still be a reporter because it's a lot of fun. But like like many like many jobs like that, to move up you got to move on. You got to move somewhere else. I reached a point uh, at the dispatch where I was getting to travel around the world. I was the international trade reporter. I got to go to Japan and Europe and it was great, but I wanted more. So I went to the editor one day and said, hey, I really want to have more opportunity here. And he said, you're going to need more time. And I was sitting across from a guy who had been there for 50 years. Well, I didn't have that kind of time. So my dad has his own business, uh, has owned a body shop, it's pretty much my whole life, and I knew about the entrepreneurial world. I, I We had family friends who were, owned their own businesses, so I decided to strike out on my own, do my own PR marketing company. And I put in my announcement at Red, White & Boom night, went and enjoyed Red, White & Boom. Two weeks later, I'm out on my own and doing my own PR marketing company, and terrible decision to start a business that's based on people's budgets halfway through a year by the time i did that august 1st i started by december i was out of money i was down to my last 200 dollars to my name because clients didn't want to sign up we you know we we already spent our budget back in june in may before i got started january comes around and all of a sudden i start getting work and from there it just took off so I basically was doing PR, marketing uh, of all kinds, website, writing, uh, press releases, things like that. Um, and I still had an interest in running. I was, I was still running. The Columbus Marathon was my first marathon when I moved to Columbus in 1991. And I um, had been to the Chicago Marathon in 1998 and I saw this thing called a pace team. It's basically, it's a group of people that if you have a certain time, you follow them. They carry a sign and balloons or whatever, and if you wanna do three hours or four hours, these people will get you to the, to the finish. So I come home and, and I go to the Columbus Marathon director, who I don't know, and I say, hey, I introduce myself and propose this idea to start these pace teams in Columbus. And he, he's like, well, if you get a sponsor, we can do it. So I start thinking, who can I go to for money that's gonna give me money to give to this guy and to pay for this thing? So I started thinking who runs, who also has money. And it came down to there was a very, very uh, successful business owner here in Columbus who also happened to be a marathoner, just happened to be the head of White Castle. So we were the White Castle Striding Sliders Pace Team, which was just a phenomenal experience, <laughs> and we had a lot of fun. that led me into um, inventing this uh, little contraption called the Pace Band. It was a Tyvek bracelet that had... Split times. So if you wanna do a four hour marathon, at mile one you have to be at 910, at mile two you gotta be at 1820. And I put all these uh, ideas and created these little bracelets and I had 15 or 20 different times and had 50,000 of them made and loaded them into a suitcase and went to the Honolulu Marathon in December of 1999 and thinking this is gonna be my ticket. I'm gonna, there's 30,000 people in that race. At the time it it was one of the biggest ones in North America and I am gonna go do this thing, and I'm gonna come home with $30,000, $40,000. My first day, I made enough money to pay for my coffee. I think I sold, (laughs) I think it was $36, you know, what have I done, I made a huge mistake. The next day I doubled my money, and the third day I doubled it again, so I came home with like $400. But I didn't do anything, I don't do things slow, I went all in. I had already booked myself to go to every major marathon, so I've got my little 10 by 10 booth and I'm going to the Austin Marathon, Houston, the Disney World, and Boston. You know, this at the time it was two to $3,000 for a space and I'm in this marathon world and I've got my little booth and I'm selling these bracelets at $2 a piece and I'm just getting killed. But it taught me about this industry and I stayed around this industry, and I learned about it. I kept doing the pace teams, I hooked up with Cliff Barr. Uh, the nutrition company started doing pace teams for them and it kept me involved in the business so i'm still doing my pr company i'm still running i'm traveling doing all these races and that and i'm really getting this understanding of this business and basically at that time um as time went on uh i had different clients i started work for the harley dealership but i did do some things on the side the marathon uh became a client i started doing marketing for the columbus marathon
1: for your personal company? And, uh, yeah.
2: So my uh, so a friend of mine does the PR. She still does, and she'd done it for a number of years. And she said, hey, I need some help. Uh, can you help me with the marketing?" So basically, I became a contractor uh, to do the marketing. A couple of years later, the board uh, there's a ch- uh, some kind of conflict with um, the company that's running the business, or running the event, and the board came to me and said, "Would you take over the event and become race director?" and These were my friends. I knew the uh, uh, board of directors, uh, some of those uh, folks very well. I still run with them and and they're good friends of mine. And because of the experiences I had at the Harley dealership, we we were putting on one to two events a week. It might've been a class for riders. It might've been a, a small concert. It might've been a charity fundraiser. But I was learning all the logistics of putting on events on a smaller scale. The basic things you have. You gotta have restrooms. You got to have food, you got to have fluids, you got to have maybe permits or things like that. So I basically learned how to put on a large scale event by doing hundreds of small scale events. And from there, a guy stepped up and took over the job of the uh, director of the Columbus Marathon while I still tried to do the, the director of marketing at A.D. Faro for three months, which was completely ridiculous because I was right in the middle of the marathon, right in the middle of that. Long story short, I left, uh, uh, took over everything fully in 2010, and here we are today. So that
1: was so much at once. Right. So, so much good stuff. I could
2: say way too much. I that's was going to
1: jump in. My, the biggest takeaways I had you were doing the pitchers with wads of cash before it was cool. They do that on Instagram now. It's like the coolest thing you can do. You got all these Oh, entities. it was like well, on you know, <laughs> right, well, a lot was, of cash. You
2: know, yeah, this would have been a Polaroid or maybe a 35-millimeter picture. And then yeah. you were
1: doing Nike Fit Bands before they were cool. You had all these trends <laughs> before they hit the actual real market.
2: Yeah, you know so, what? Uh, yeah, too bad I didn't invent the cell phone or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. People make some money. Yeah, out yeah, that. People, people yeah, did yeah, well think, with that one. I think those are going to catch on. <laughs>
1: So talk about a little bit when you were going to these marathons. Were you just working remotely, traveling under your car? Were you running the actual races? Kind of oh, yeah. what was that experience? So
2: no, so I flew. Oh no, because I'm traveling around the country, so I'm going far away places. And again, I was all in. I mean, I'm staying, flying there, staying in the hotels, doing the race, all this stuff. Um, but I'm by myself. I'm going to these expos. I would convince people. Uh, because again, for a marathon, you got to be preparing yourself that weekend, and it's particularly hydrating. I would give people a free product if they would stay at my booth for five minutes so I could get a bathroom break. I mean, this is, this is me just making up as I go along. And, you know, I was just uh, really enjoying what I was doing, but also I knew I was learning some, some uh, things that might come in, in, into play later. I've always been a believer to never take a job for what it was, but what it could lead to. I mean, yeah, you don't, sometimes you got to have a job because you need a job, but I still want to try to get out of it. What can I learn? Who can I learn from? What is there that, that I don't know about or something that's uh, going to be uh, play forward later?
1: So following from that, when you were traveling the world doing your journalism, what were some of the greatest experiences that you had in that, some more memorable ones that kind of shaped what you did down the
2: road? Yeah, so my my best uh, experience that I would not recommend is playing the shell game in uh, Dresden, Germany, or anywhere else. So I'm, uh, I'm a reporter, and uh, not many people knew this story, particularly the newspaper owners, but... Uh, I um, have like a little stipend, you know, that, for my food and stuff like that, and um, I'm walking down through this downtown area, and there's these this crowd of people standing around, and if you don't know what the shell game is, it's basically a scam that they bring in suckers to uh, uh, <laughs> give, give their money. So, there's a guy losing, and I'm like, well, gosh, it's obvious which, which shell the uh, ball's under. And three times, four times, I see this guy and see how easy it is. So I step up with my American dollars and throw in $20 and pick the shell and the ball's not there. (laughs) And I'm like, I know I can do this. And my competitive streak starts coming in. So I throw in another $20 and it's not there. Well, I learned later that this is a trick. These guys, the guy who was losing was part of the crew. And it's, uh, so the value I learned was things aren't as always as they seem. Do a little bit more research before <laughs> you jump into something. And, you know, I, I just was, um, uh, I was kind of like that just super energetic, earnest, naive person. Another time we're in Germany and I'm sitting down at a, at a, at a table before they have a cocktail reception and a dinner and I, uh, there's the the head of the Chamber of Commerce from Columbus is traveling with us, and uh, these trips were usually about uh, expanding Columbus's international base, developing relationships, things like that. So he's sitting down, and I sit down in a chair to interview him because I've got a, a deadline. I got to uh, get my interview done, got to head up and uh, write my story and send it back uh, over the uh, over the computer lines. You didn't have the internet. You had like phone couplers that would go onto your uh, onto the uh, Earpiece and mouthpiece on a phone and, and make that <laughs> sound and it would send this stuff. So I sit down, I do my interview, I leave, I do my story, I come back about an hour later. Everybody's standing around the room still. And I'm
1: like, It's that shell game again.
2: It's <laughs> a shell game again. It's not doing my research. What's going on? Everybody's, Where were you? I said, I was doing my job. I'm not here to have fun and cocktails and that. You sat down at the head of the table before you left the staff would not serve the food until you came back. (laughs) Again, another classic case of some super energetic enthused guy not paying attention. So you need to kind of learn your surroundings wherever (laughs) you are. Just, it doesn't take a lot to kind of sit back, not rush into things, and that's the lesson I've learned really throughout my life. My wife will always tell me, slow down, shut up, and listen. And she says it with love and respect, but I do I, I, I get too excited get too enthused which are great qualities but you got to kind of get get your bearings before you jump into something because it just it, it a it may not go well and it's it certainly can um, uh, it may not be a trait that's going to, to to prove well it's still great to be enthusiastic and excited but tempered a little bit well
1: then your food wasn't cold so it wasn't all bad right hey, well, that's down, true too, but food, yeah so. was,
2: that was one of those great classic stories that I never heard the end of
0: <laughs> so What I wanted to ask you about was, um, and all that, I didn't think I caught uh, where you ended up going to college. Yeah,
2: went to to Kent State, State. uh, started at Akron, went there for a couple years, but they didn't have a really great uh, writing program, and and literally, I got into journalism because I got an A on a creative writing class. Mm -hmm. If I had gotten a B, or if I didn't think I had any aptitude, I don't know what would have happened, but I got an A on that, I got into journalism, I... um, was very fortunate, I won a national writing competition for editorial writing uh, at the Kent paper, which basically all of a sudden here's this kid, a thousand people graduated from journalism schools just like many colleges and I didn't have anything that was outstanding on my resume. I had a simple internship like everybody else but all of a sudden I this lucky break happens and I win this uh, editorial writing contest and, and it, I'm talking lucky because I had the entry in the envelope that I was going to send of one of the editorials I had written and I pulled it out and put another one in. And the one I put in was the winning one. So, I mean, what are the odds, you know, why did that happen? I have no idea. Maybe they both were equally good, but the fact is, sometimes, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And I believe that, that you just, just uh, when breaks happen, you gotta take advantage of them. And that really helped me out to just, just set me at a different level uh, for what opened up a lot of doors for me.
1: And then talk a little bit about your time at A.D. Faro and kind of yeah. what that um, job was like and the experiences that you had there.
2: So it started out by uh, I wrote a letter to the owner and said, hey, I'd, I ride a motorcycle. I'd love to be uh, doing work with you. And he basically read the letter and liked the letter and, and brought me in. And uh, Good thing
1: you're good at writing.
2: Good thing I'm good at writing. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, it just... Um, uh, was a scary scary proposition because those people take their stuff seriously harley people especially i mean motorcycles in general are, are are you know a smaller group of people than than car drivers but um they're pretty passionate about it but the harley people you can't go into that faking your way you gotta be taking it seriously and you gotta be on and so i kind of approached that like i would have a journalism assignment Put myself in a situation. I knew my way around a little bit, but I certainly wasn't an expert. So I basically listened, learned, respected people. The things you learn in kindergarten, you know, don't talk back, listen to people and be nice. And And it, uh, it went really well. And I basically, I think the thing that impressed a lot of those people was, which are really things that even translate to what I'm doing now with the marathon, is you'll see me picking up the trash. You'll see me doing stuff that... Um, I'm not too good, I don't think I'm too good to do anything. Whether it's wiping up an oil spill in the parking lot or picking up trash after one of the events or talking to somebody um, and letting them go on and on about their stories. Just being being engaged and being part of it. Um, I think people appreciate that. And it's, it's really, even going back to when I was a kid, whether I have odd jobs, I worked construction in college a little bit, um, you just always being willing to go the extra effort and not be better than uh anybody else when it comes to stuff the uh the real people that that matter those construction guys or the harley riders they respect people that are that are uh willing to be you know, to be like like everybody else not not act like you're too special
1: yeah, i think that's a big side of leadership in general is just they talk about that servant mentality and finding the ability to put your own ego aside and putting other people first which some people you know can have a really difficult time mastering and it's kind of got to almost be built into your character a really tough process to overcome not thinking about yourself first all the time or thinking that you're above and beyond certain areas so it's interesting here but you talked a little bit about in there about the journalistic approach to um, entering into the Harley society I guess I'm more interested in just that approach in general like when you would approach certain topics and things like that what does that kind of look like for you and how would you immerse yourself into different subjects and
2: become an expert? I mean, my first job at the Columbus Dispatch, I had specialized in business down in Florida and up in Cleveland. My first job was the religion reporter. Talk about, there's certain things you don't mess with. You don't mess with people's kids. You don't mess with people's religion and you don't mess with people's jobs. And I got into something that I had covered education, so that was messing with people's kids and, and that whole world, uh, the negativity that uh, school boards and things like that, when they would try to uh, make changes, that would get people in an uproar. Well, religion is one of those things that, that is a pretty serious topic, but I never acted like I knew anything about it. You know, I'd been to church, I was an altar boy, I knew the ways of uh, services and things like that, but I'd never acted like I knew anything because that makes you a better, reporter makes you a better business person because you're asking questions. In fact, it's better to not know something or at least don't bring your own ideas because you're going to get a better sense of asking the right questions and you're going to learn from people who have been there before, both positive and negative. A lot of times you can walk into a room and you can learn about a company based upon what they're saying on the floor. The 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 CEO and the president, those they're they're isolated. Either they're not listening or no one's telling them you go on the floor of a, of, a, of a factory, you go on the floor of a store, you know, I've worked retail, I've been in the back warehouses of places. And the, the, the real deal is when they're trying to pass down some memo, you know, office space, the whole um, TPS report, you know, the reality is this stuff doesn't work in, in the real world. But you don't know that until you listen and you learn. So the journalism, journalistic approach is really going into it, asking questions sitting back and let people talk you can learn so much and this is such a hard thing for me my mom joked that I talked before I walked so I was always you know jumping in and having something to say and it's it's tough to sit back and listen but I have 30 people now on the marathon team we've got up to 3,000 volunteers I've got a 11 person board of directors I've got Companies all around uh, the city that are involved in this, and now we're we're supporting a major institution, Nationwide Children's Hospital. It's a lot of eyes on us, so I can't just go in and start coming up with these crazy ideas and 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 or trying to impose my will on things. I've got to sit back and take it seriously and listen and learn what the what the what the climate's like, what the what the what the rising tide is like, and just listen and and not be so quick to quick to uh take steps because it's uh it's as much i'm as much a politician now as i am directing this event you've got to balance everything out because there's too many too many uh outside interests now involved in this
0: yeah i'm sure it's hard balancing everything out i'm sure everybody wants the same amount of attention all the time and uh, if you can't always get to everybody else um you know you're never going to be able to get to all of them at the same time Yeah. So um, that balancing act must be tough. But um, what was the state of the marathon like, kind of before you took over, com- compared to now? Like, so let's talk about a little bit about like your first day on the job. What does it look like compared to what it does today?
2: So when I took it over, it was ended up being um, by the time the decisions were made, it was March, and it was April or May of that year. Well, remember, I'm in April now, and I've already been working for three months to prepare for this year's event. So I take it in in April of May of that year, nothing was done. There'd been a couple planning meetings, but there was no cohesiveness. There was was really, nobody knew what to do because the leadership was no longer there. So the first thing I did was got everybody together that had been part of the team, told them all they were gonna remain, and let me take a step back. The team is made up of people that, uh, a couple people that really are engaged almost on a full-time basis. and then there's people who really are only working um, uh, a small amount of time, a little bit more than that weekend, but but are not super involved all the time. Um, I gave everybody a raise. I needed them to be on my team. I needed them to support me. And at that point, I could sit there and say all the things I wanted to about, you guys really need to work with me. I'm gonna be a great leader. I didn't have the time. So we had some budget and they don't make a lot of money it's not a full-time job but I was able to at least show them that I cared for them and respected them and and knew what they had had gone through because I worked with them for the three years before and saw the things they had to deal with uh, as they were working on it in those previous years and so I could help them because I listened and learned and knew what the issues were that I could help them to become better at what they did and also could reward them for it so that was I mean that's something that that people respond well. Yeah, you know, people, yeah like people like rewarding. money. Yeah, money. people like more money. money. Yeah, so I, it listen. You know? And then uh, so from there, um, we basically just tried to get that first year under our belt. The event is not me by any means. It's not anybody involved. This thing's been around the marathon. It's its thirty-eighth year. It has a great tradition. Yesterday, um, April eleventh was the twenty-fifth anniversary of the Olympic trials for men being held in Columbus, Ohio. So it's got that kind of history. This thing has just, this year we're gonna go over um, the 100,000th finisher in, in the history of the event for the marathon and the half marathon. And so there's a lot of people in this town who have done this event, it was that bucket list item for them, or maybe now there's a family who's being helped from the hospital that's benefiting from the events. So there's a lot, of, a lot of stakeholders and Basically, I just, um, that first year, we just wanted to make sure that we maintained what was going on. Before, we worried about growing it and changing things It's just let's put on the best event we can given what we've got. So we had six months to do a year's worth of work. We pulled it off and it went great. And then from there, we were able to, to really focus on growing the event and not just numerically, but experience-wise. I think the biggest thing I'm most proud of over the uh, last seven years is applying business practices to this entertainment and athletic event. It's um, the way it was to the way it is now is night and day in terms of things like utilizing technology, utilizing things as simple as PowerPoints and using things as simple as uh, well, we call it Basecamp. I'm not sure what there's different brand names for organ, organizing uh, uh, documents and and discussions and you know what do you call those things? Um, like
1: a project management system. project software.
2: management system. So having a project management system and having documents and having just having everything online. So so you know whether it's our graphics and our our, our documentation, having all those things, just applying those practices. Plus myself trying to apply business practices of, of thought processes to it as opposed to uh, having something as simple as uh, a team retreat. We just had a retreat uh, um, a little bit ago. And the fact is, getting people together, getting them excited and then outlining where we're going for the year, those are the types of things that just, I'm very proud that we've been able to, to do. So whether this was a, a store or a, um, an event or a, a factory, having those business approaches uh, have really worked well. The other thing that's changed just dramatically is our working with um, partnerships that are good at the things we're not. Our social media, for example. We have a company we work with. We were the very first client of Geben Communication. Geben and Heather Whaling, they are just super, super deep into the whole social media. She's a great business leader and we were her first client so what's nice is she can't get rid of us and she can't raise our prices because you know she's really good now when we got her you know she was brand new and um but things like that why we're not gonna worry about being good at social media I'm not gonna start doing that stuff we've got someone who's really good at it same thing with the registration company we use or the timing company the people that are good at it hire them and let them do what they're good at With the hospital now, the partnership since 2012, we are very fortunate. We don't rely on a lot of sponsorship dollars to put the event on. That's where the hospital can come in, and they can really benefit, and they they use our assets and sell them off. So they sell off the mile markers. They sell off the bandstands and the water stops. They can generate revenue, which then goes to the bottom line of the hospital, and that's why we've raised over $6 million in five years, because... They're good at fundraising. I'm not a g I am not I could not even go when I had my paper out as a kid, I couldn't even go collect. My dad would drive me around and kick me out of the car to make me go knock on some door to collect three dollars for the paper for the week. But the hospital's good at it. And the kids are a compelling story. So, you know, find people that are good at what they're good at and align with them can take you a long way.
1: So first question, is it gonna be cooler to win the Columbus Marathon this year or be the hundred thousandth finisher?
2: You know, that's, uh, we had that discussion in our retreat, and we're still trying to figure out what we're going to do, but there uh, definitely is going to be something like this special treat. I'm not sure if it's going to be the winner. would be pretty cool, too.
1: <laughs> you win, then you circle back around, and you, yeah, win, and you yeah,
2: circle yeah, back around. Like, well, hold on, yeah, exactly. okay, I crossed
0: the finish line. Now, let me cross back over real quick. I'm going to sit here and tell. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, and then another funny thing was you mentioned Heather uh, whaling, which if anybody wants to date this episode, actually we're releasing our episode with Heather on Sunday. So, I'm um, not sure you even knew that was, uh, that was happening, but it was just funny to have you mention someone else we would had on the show before.
1: How do you identify those parts that you guys, I mean, you can identify what you're not good at, but how do you identify what you want to bring in internally and what you want to allow other people and go to other sources for, for example, like Heather with your social media instead of bringing someone out internally for social media or, you know, I mean, Nationwide fundraising, why Nationwide as a partner, why not, you know, somebody else?
2: Well, the, on on the part of who to bring in and how to bring people in, the, the this is a very unusual organization. Every one of us on from myself on down through the team are technically subcontractors. The Columbus Marathon is a nonprofit and they have a non profit um mission with a board of directors that basically um handle handle the the contractual obligations, things like that.
1: Can you talk about who that board is too?
2: Um, in terms of the eleven individuals or, or yeah just yeah. as a general idea yeah, yeah. so story. basically it's um, it's really a group of runners bottom line that happen to um, have really good skills and, and backgrounds in terms of their business and their um, uh, just uh, opportunities that they pursued in their own lives but they really came together it was formed many years ago and new people would come on board but the current board that they've been around around some of them are fairly new but there's been some who have been on board for our our chairman just stepped down as chairman he's still on the board he was chairman for 10 years So there's a lot of longevity but um, they're local business people but also a few representatives that are kind of associated because of the uh, involvement with um, um, Nationwide for example there's a representative from Nationwide Um, there's also a representative from Columbus Rexon Park which um, that's basically our city delegate which is uh, um, a very important partner because we're in Columbus we want to make sure that the the city and everybody's happy with the job we're doing. And then there are basically um, a variety of different folks um, that uh, bring different skills. One guy who uh, works for you'd mentioned uh, Resource. We've got someone who's on uh, works over there. We've got another uh, guy who uh, used to be at uh, Nationwide. Now he's with another insurance company, but he's still on board. So, but just um, but there are people who are really passionate about running, and that's what keeps them involved. It's really you wouldn't really want to be involved in this board if you didn't have that interest. It'd be kind of boring, I would think. It, it would uh, be like being involved in some wrestling camp, but you've never wrestled. Whoa, whoa, whoa. let get ahead of ourselves whoa. here. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying the fact is you want to have a uh, somewhat of a passion because um, you're going to see it from a different perspective. Just some, some random accountant that doesn't run isn't really going to be a great asset because they're not going to really see the value of why we want to do certain things to make the experience better. Yeah, it changes um, your perspective on everything. Exactly.
0: I'm seeing a, uh, I'm seeing a future uh, board member named Josh Witt. In uh, 10 or 20 years.
1: Hey, if you guys look looking for a Conquering Columbus board member, I'll, I'll step uh, up.
2: Well, you know, now I'm, I'm impressed already, so i have to <laughs> present that to the board. And then the other part of the question, um, which I forget now.
1: I'll take you on tangents of tangents sometimes. You yeah, really that's gotta, okay.
2: Now, what was the second part of the question?
1: I think I think what I had asked originally, so this is where we'll, uh, we'll have to start writing some notes here in the future. I don't remember, but I think it was that I asked you how you can know when you want to delegate certain things. Oh, yeah. Yep. That okay. was it.
2: Oh, no, no. The other part was you talked about the well, delegating, first of all. So all of us being contractors, um, that's kind of in our entrepreneurial thought process. We don't own anything. We don't own fencing. We don't own barricades. We don't own that. So we're going to hire Paul Peterson Company to do our barricades because that's what they do. They do that for all the major events. So why would we start thinking we're going to do something differently? We're going to work with a um, uh, company that does uh, page tech which does all the sound for large events, things like that, we're gonna hire them. We're not gonna try, and we have someone on our team who's responsible for that area, and he has a background in entertainment. He used to own a a, a club and things like that, and he's also an uh, architectural designer, so he can do all of our uh, CAD drawings, things like that of our start, finish, and floor plans and that, but um, beyond that, we're gonna hire the best people that we can because they have the equipment and they know this. As far as a partnership with the hospital nationwide insurance came to us in 2011 and said we love supporting this event but would you guys consider um tying in nationwide children's hospital and maybe making them a benefiting charity we had done some charitable work this world has things like the leukemia foundation has the team and training which is a national international running program they do for fundraising. And we had done some other uh, charitable work for the um, American Cancer Society and that, but we weren't really tied in totally with a charity and not only was it a good move because it's a great charitable organization here in Columbus, but honestly, the I felt and some of the board members agreed that the direction that this sport is going is having that connection to a charitable uh, organization might be a, an additional compelling factor to get people to support the event. And it's turned out to be very true. I mean, we're finding that that as the demographics are changing, we're getting, uh, right now, we're about 55% women, 45% men over all events. The half marathon is about 65-35. So with women getting more involved, um, the hospital was a great partner because of families and, and not that men don't have... Um, believes in supporting children but if we could get both (laughs) ends of the family believing this uh, and supporting it it was going to be a good thing Um, it just was also one of those right things to do you know we don't need knock on wood the money to put the event on if we can benefit something like nationwide children's hospital and then they can turn on their social media machine and their PR machine and that is a great synergy so they're talking the story about us we're talking the story about them and we're seeing people sign up for the event in in ways that I don't think we would have the degree if we hadn't done this and and you can say 2020's hindsight but I definitely think the event would have gone had a had a more difficult time over the last five years in particular if we didn't have that partnership.
1: Do you know off the top of your head kind of what growth numbers look like from the point when you started till where it is now?
2: Yes, yeah, so the marathon. Um, I think when I took on it, might have been in the four thousand range for the marathon, and the half marathon was around nine or maybe nine thousand. I grew it. Uh, our highest year was two thousand thirteen. We, we went over seven thousand in the marathon, and two thousand and fifteen we went over twelve thousand in the half. We've been between five and six for the marathon since then. It's taken a little bit of a, of a, of a decline as the whole industry's kind of doing that. The half has been everywhere between 11, five, and 12 every year. We, we had sold it out a couple of years, and I think we're gonna be on track again to uh, see some more sellouts. But um, we won't get any bigger. You can't put on a quality event on the streets of Columbus, Ohio, uh, that we want to any larger because the streets are only so wide. And there's a whole scientific theory that tells you how many people you should put on the street and, and how wide your starting line should be, it's called the Venturi Effect. However wide your starting line is, how wide the narrowest street should be. So when you get over to um, Bexley and the streets over there, that's all the wider we're gonna make our start line because if you go any wider, as we learned, they'll end up in people's yards, they'll end up on people's sidewalks. So there's things like that that I never knew about it, but but other people who are smarter than me know these things. and. That's why they're on my team.
0: Yeah. And earlier, before the show, we were talking a little bit about how um, things like T- Tough Mudder and the Color Run and the Spartan Race are kind of taken away from that people's, you know, once a year event. So can you talk a little bit about how those races have affected your marketing strategy and the way that you're trying to get people to sign up for the, um, the, the marathon? Yeah.
2: So they didn't really change our marketing as much as some other events might have done this because we've always had to work hard. Mm-hmm. Look out your window. Aren't those mountains beautiful? Isn't that beach beautiful here? Are we in Ohio? Exactly. (laughs) We don't have mountains. We don't have beach. What in the world is going to compel you to come to Columbus, Ohio in October, except for an Ohio State football game? We've got to work super hard. So we've always worked super hard to know that we've got to put on a great event. If we put on a great event with a great experience, people are going to come. We keep our prices low. We are compared to our peers uh cleveland marathon flying pig marathon the pittsburgh marathon we come in extremely low as our as our opening cost and we keep our costs lower because of that our expo we have a full 100 plus expo vendors we never want for people to show their stuff at our show because we have super low expo prices compared to our competition and that's Basically, because we got to be better on always, we got to put on a great event. We got to keep it reasonable for people, to, because there's other challenges out there. That's when you get into the other things that are pulling on people's time. But it's not even the other events. It's little kids in their soccer games. It's people that are um, uh, deciding to um, uh, do what's it called um, CrossFit. Anything that's taking people's time away from from running or walking. So little kid's soccer game on a Saturday, well, the mom and dad are out there cheering their kids and they're out there for most of the afternoon. They only had so many hours on their weekend. So therefore, they're not going to be able to get their run in, so they're going to find something else to do. So we've always got to be better and constantly working to grow, constantly exploring new ideas, working with people like Heather Whaling and 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 Gavin, the, the leaders of, of, of how to reach people, whether it's through Facebook or um, you know, we were the first, it, it may seem kind of odd, we were the first marathon to use Pinterest. Well, you know, why in the world, what's that have to do? with Well, because Heather and her team saw it as something that was gonna possibly be kind of neat to do and we found a lot of our people use it. And there's a lot of women that, that in particular that use Pinterest. Well, women are now one of our dominant markets so we're just always trying to do things, stay one step ahead. I challenge them all the time. What is somebody in the retail business doing? What is somebody doing that's not in the running world, that's really cool, and can we adapt that to use for our business? Because I liken it to what Starbucks did with coffee. Starbucks, you you used to be able to go and you get 50 cent coffee somewhere. Even the smallest diner charges you two bucks for coffee now, because they can. (laughs) Because they made the experience so good at Starbucks that now you have to raise the bar everywhere and you have to give a better cup of coffee and therefore you can charge the money for it. But it's we've always just tried to stay one step ahead.
1: And the experience in general is definitely one that's different from any other race that you're really gonna be able to partake in. Like People are training for these as their first marathon and they cross the line at Columbus. You see just the entire process and the way that they're greeted across the finish line and across each mile marker, how there's music centers. And it really is just like an entire event put on where you really get done. You feel like, okay, I participate in something that's really special here. Yeah. and it's unique how did that kind of grow i guess like how were you guys able to figure out you know what is too much what we should do here what we should do there and how has that process come together maybe talk a little bit more about your team as well too kind of how that's structured
2: so going back to the when i was traveling and doing all the pace band and the pace teams and all that experience i've been to i've done over 200 marathons not because i am just so crazy about running Uh, it's a lot of miles but i do a lot of these things because i've i've able to go and learn and steal ideas. There's no new ideas. So everything that we've done at our event is something I've seen somewhere else. The fireworks that we have, it used to be, there used to be a flyover. Uh, the military used to do a flyover, but then they changed the race time and they changed the rule of when a flyover could only happen after sunrise. Well, it was dark It's 7.30, it's almost light, but it's not quite. Well, then we said, well, what can we do instead of, how can we turn this negative into a positive? Well, let's use fireworks. Disney does it. People love it. So we stole that idea. And between all the things I'd been exposed to at different races around the country, whether it's from the from the back office, seeing how an expo was and things that weren't working at an expo, like providing water for vendors you know, or, or whatever, to um, seeing the way a, a race was organized, studying that when I would be doing it and at a finish line, looking behind the scenes. And the same with my team. Most of them uh, have done either our event and they have a, a, a buy-in to it or they've done other events or they bring uh, certain skills of knowing how to put on events. And that's kind of the way that we um, can take all that knowledge and apply it into this event without getting gimmicky, without getting uh, too kitschy. We just, we know as runners and walkers what we want and we know how, when something, when it's too much. So we just try to serve the needs Make it a great event, and then, but not go over the top to where it's going to just be kind of foolishness.
1: What does that team structure look like?
2: So the team structure, uh, I'm the race director, and we have an assistant race director, and she's pretty much full-time as well. She's uh, uh, involved in a lot of the day-to-day planning and a lot of the day-to-day execution. And then uh, the, the two of us have a lot of back and forth, and she actually came to work with me when I was A.D. Farrow. She uh, wrote a letter, Uh, I was the the director of marketing, and this letter comes in, a very, very silly letter, you may be a winner, and I opened it up, and it was like a sweepstakes resume, and I thought, that is just silly enough that I like it. So I interviewed her and I hired her, and I've been working with her now for, gosh, over 10 years. And um, the PR director, she's, we're a client of hers but she's pretty much deep dive into us uh, on something all the time and then from there it kind of scales down to like our our entertainment coordinator uh, who also handles the design and like i said earlier he does CAD and things like that he's in charge of um, setting up the start finish uh, designs and things like that and then we have a whole operations team that actually are are the guys that put the stuff together and then they work with the fencing contractor or the, or the stage builder or the, 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 the tent company we hire, Sports America, which does the, all the buildings and structures out at Muirfield. Um, our operations people work with those folks to get things in the right place. But then it just continues to go down. We got a woman who's nicely called the environmental coordinator, but she's really in charge of trash. And she loves that role and she's good at it and she makes sure that th- this thing looks good and we, when we leave the park, it looks better than when we got there. So there's all sorts of different assignments. All the way, we have a registration uh, coordinator that handles just getting people signed up and handling all those issues. Um, That's my wife, which unfortunately for for her, she has to live this stuff 24/7. but uh, um, uh, she's a good sport about it. And we've had some challenging times because living with someone who's so passionate about it and takes it so seriously, I'm sure is sometimes difficult. We have people that are uh, just in charge of our um, parking insecurity. She happens to be a Columbus police officer, so we, she contracts with us to do this. But she's great at it because she knows the flow of traffic.
1: She she's knows, got a gun, which
2: helps. She's got yeah, a so. – uh, you know, she didn't have her gun, or did she have it? We had an episode last year. We had somebody who basically threatened to shoot one of our people on Saturday night setting up the race. And she took him down. Now, who's going to make a threat to somebody in front of – this was literally in front of the Columbus Police Station. I mean, because we're right downtown. So it didn't take those guys long to come and take this guy away. But uh, anyway, that's another story, I'm sure. So um, between all that, it's just a we, we've broken things down as much as we could to specialize in certain areas and also not weigh anybody down too much. So they can be good at what they're doing, but also I want to respect them. This is not a career, so we're not heavy on, on, they can be as involved as they want to be, but we're not going to push them too hard. We're not going to be meeting heavy and a lot of time consuming for them beyond what it's going to require, just because I respect the fact they've got lives too.
1: And Is all the revenue generated from the race entry fees from previous years, is that how that works?
2: So the current year, basically. So it's it's definitely a, uh, a forward-thinking strategy. The board's very good at... at having a very conservative approach to um, the budget. We look at the worst case scenario for participation and the the worst case scenario uh, for expenses. So we always look at it, so the revenue's low, expenses are high, it allows us to really come in very strongly, because the revenue will end up being higher than projected, and we work hard to control the costs, and by doing those two things, we're able to to make the budget, make it, the the board this year will have topped a million dollars in six years, giving to the hospital, giving that back. So that's money that if we didn't have the relationship, might have gone to the event. But if we didn't have the hospital and the relationship, there's a lot of positives we wouldn't have got out of it. We get a lot of in-kind support from hospital vendors. Kroger, for example, they give us the food and the water bottles and things like that. A lot of money that comes in, not direct cash, but stuff we need. So therefore, we don't need a lot of money. We need things. Gatorade gives us, you know, $50,000 $50,000 worth of product, 500,000 cups. White Castle gives us 500,000 water cups and they sponsor a couple of things. So we don't need the the revenue as much as we need the things that we would have had to go out and buy. So if White Castle gave us a check or they gave us cups, we still need it. So that's what I say the sponsorship is different. We don't need the dollars, but we still do have some things that we need that the hospital is really able to open those doors for us.
0: Yeah, what I think I'm most impressed about is how how aware you are of everything of all the partnerships and all the little pieces that are that are going on with inside of the Columbus Marathon, down to, you know, the person who's in head of parking and all your different vendors and everything. You you seem very well connected and it seems like you're like just incredibly on top of everything. Which I think would be extremely difficult for someone in your position who's trying to balance all these different um, directions and, and ways that they're going.
2: You so. know, it just comes down to I take it seriously, I and mean, mm-hmm. somebody had, there's a book somewhere, and some there was some maestro who had this little note on his uh, lectern, or whatever a maestro stands at it and it said, to be serious is the greatest joy. And and I, I find so much internal pleasure from being serious, and taking this stuff seriously, and getting called on the things I'm doing wrong, so I can make them right. It's also not a great way to live if if you're an obsessive person like I am, and you take this stuff to heart, because it also can be quite quite straining on 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 myself and 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 it's straining on our, our relationship. I mean, having this stuff in my house 24/7 with my wife. I mean, we don't walk away from this. I don't go to an office. We have a mailbox down at the athletic club. We used to have an we used to have an office down there, but I just shut it down because I'd rather be close to this stuff as much as possible, but that's also, you can't walk away from it. Mm-hmm. Same with entrepreneurs. I mean, being an entrepreneur, I used to have a small office when I was uh, was doing that. And But the fact of the matter is, if you're living in this stuff, you breathe this stuff and you believe in yourself that you can make it work, even if you're struggling, it's going to take that kind of commitment. And, and so many people want things easy. There's no secret. You know, we talked about jokingly, you know, about wrestling camp and stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is, wrestling or running or anything if you're going to be good at it there's no secret there's no shortcut people will ask you well what's the what's the secret to wrestling you know how can you get better you're going to bust your butt you know if you're going to be a good runner there is no magic out there there's no secret to cutting the corners you're going to hurt you're going to have to suffer if you want to get better put the time in what do they say 10,000 hours to become proficient at something mm-hmm. you got to put the time in so Entrepreneurial, if you really have a belief that you're gonna do something, put the time in. It. I, I, It drives me crazy when I will go to, I go to Ohio State quite a bit to talk to student groups. And I'll tell these kids, guys, we've got openings, we've got opportunities for internships, we'd love to hear from you. And invariably, kids will come up, oh, I'm so excited, you'll be hearing from me. i never hear from them. Because the bottom line is, if people are truly passionate about something, they would have already reached out to us. And you shouldn't have to be led to do something that you wanted to do it should have already been there so if you're serious about something go for it and and work hard and and, and it can happen
1: one ten thousand hour run, and you'll be good that's all you got <laughs> right I mean, that's it that's all yeah, it's all I've, I've, I've done those it'll <laughs> well, take done. you a little over a year <laughs> <You> know, exactly <laughs> so i think that's awesome a great place to kind of for us to start to wrap up a little bit um the whole story so far that you've conveyed and just how the team comes together and all the different parts has just been um, pretty awesome to hear about but one thing that we ask all of our guests when on the show and something that we've kind of made a slogan is live uncomfortably. And we talk about, you know, a lot of successful people we've found have had to live uncomfortably, whatever that means to them in a particular way, but for the portion of their lives be successful. So I guess when you hear that, what does it kind of mean to you the most and, and what points of your life reflect back the most on um, being, quote-unquote, living, living uncomfortably?
2: I put myself at the starting line of running races. I, I run, I enjoy running. I hate the starting line. I am so nervous and worked up. I just did a race uh, last weekend, just a training run. I'm doing a marathon here in a couple weeks to, to see where I'm at in terms of my running. Wanted uh, to race, uh, I'm gonna race a marathon in a couple weeks. And so I wanted to go and kind of get the feeling. And my stomach is churning and I'm so nervous and I'm thinking to myself, why? This is a training run down on the, on the downtown riverfront. But I put myself in those situations so that I can get used to that uncomfortable feeling and get used to being nervous on a starting line for the Columbus Marathon. I'm not gonna run the marathon, I ran it 15 times and I can't run it as long as I'm director. But I gotta be on that starting line every October as long as I'm doing this and that's a very nerve-wracking place to be. So I better be nervous and scared to death about what I'm getting into, whether it's just for my own health and wellness or for this race. I, so I put myself in a uncomfortable situation. It just happens to be races. I, um, I'm probably looking back, I did the, uh, the Badwater 135, which is a race across Death Valley in July. I did it for my 50th birthday a couple years ago. And that was living uncomfortably, 130 degrees, 40 hours across Death Valley in July, and I stopped five times, I laid down five times, and I was gonna quit five times, but I was so, the most proud I am of anything in my life is I got up five times, I didn't quit. I put myself in an extremely uncomfortable position, but every day I think about being in an uncomfortable situation in the Death Valley, which is about as low as you can get, and, um, Picking myself up, having that challenge, to me, is really what life's all about. You've gotta, this is one shot we've got here. Go out and put yourself in those situations because you don't know what they're how they're gonna play in the rest of your life. I'll never forget that moment. I really will never forget every time I get to a starting line because I'm nervous and all that, even though it doesn't have any bearing. If, if I win or come in last, it's not like there's any, you know, at these local races, there's not any prize money. Why am I so nervous? It's because it's important to me. So I put myself in those uncomfortable situations for things that are important to me.
0: Man, I think that is one of the best answers to that question we've ever had.
1: Um, I don't think anybody's ever run the bad water. i right. not sure Yeah, of part. course. Is...
2: My wife has as well, you know, and she did it two years later than me. She beat my time. So, you know, I've got that to look forward
0: to. <laughs> <laughs> Probably had the wind at her back. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but, Darius, we appreciate you having me on the show. I think that's a great place to end the show. Is there anything... Uh, last you want to say to our listeners
2: no you know just i really respect what you guys are doing in terms of trying to inspire people to 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 be their best to pursue things this is such a great town for opportunity i had the opportunity as a reporter to talk to a lot of different people i was mentioning earlier that i kind of had a a calling card that if i wanted to go talk to somebody important i could as a reporter but that doesn't mean that there aren't people out there that will, if you just call them up or email them and say, hey, can I take you to coffee and pick your brain? They may say yes and you may get some insight. I, I use, I'll use Heather Whaling again. I direct people to her all the time because I know she will sit down and give people insight into how to live their life, how to pursue a business idea or whatever the case may be. And this town is full of leaders like that that are very willing to give their time if someone is just sincere and will ask about it. And what's the worst that's gonna happen? No, I'm not interested. You'll have to talk to my assistant and you never hear back, but so what? No one knows you did that. Give it a shot. You never know what opportunities and doors are gonna open in this town in particular, which is a very small town, even though it's a big place. A lot of people know each other and a lot of people open doors for you if, uh, if you just show the uh, enthusiasm and willingness. So that's what I would, I would uh, recommend to the listeners.
0: Yeah, well, thanks a lot, Darius, again. Uh, We appreciate having you on the show. And Conquerors, thanks a lot for listening, and uh, hope you enjoyed that episode. If you have any questions for Darius, go ahead and leave a comment on the uh, episode, and we'll make sure he hears them. Otherwise, thanks again, and we'll talk to you guys next week. If you like that episode, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social media. We're all over the place, guys. Share it with your friends. Also want to ask you if you could do us a big favor, Check out that podcast app you're listening to us on and go ahead and click that subscribe button. Again, it really helps us out and it makes sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. Last thing we want to do before we let you go here is give one last shout out to all of our incredible sponsors. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you.
1: Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com.
0: Mike here again, and if you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus and have your message heard by conquerors across the city, please reach out to me at mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. There will be a quick survey in the show notes of today's episode, and if you guys could fill that out for us, we'd really appreciate it. All right, folks, that's all we got. We'll talk to you next week. You can drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt,
1: but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost.